I have learned that when you get really clear on what kind of projects and what kind of people you want to deal with, it changes everything. First of all, you feel awesome and you feel appreciated. And when you feel appreciated, you go above and beyond for those clients. So you're doing your best work as opposed to taking on jobs and then being upset. And that's just bad all around. Welcome to episode 123 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And this was an episode that I was super excited about. We had Pamela Durkin on. Pamela is an interior designer, Pamela Durkin Design in Naples, Florida. She also has a business coaching class for interior designers. But it was just so incredible from the minute we began the conversation. Pamela spent a lot of time teaching about how to market to your affluent client, how to be magnetic how to understand the ideal client. But what I really love was she shared her shock and awe box, right? How to make that first impression. And just really, as you think about the mentality as the entrepreneur and the struggles that we have, you know, how you can time block, how you can manage expectations. And really that shock and awe box just really sets the tone for what she does as a company and as a brand. And there is so much valuable information. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and we have a special guest today, Pamela Durkin, with us. So welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it is. And I hope I've already crossed the friendship where I can call you Pam already, but I know we're just kicking this off. So Yeah, so we were chit-chatting before we started, and I always say Pamela's sort of like my stage name, which is, you know, makes me larger than life. But once we get to know each other, we go right to Pam. And that's the way I like it. So, <laughs> well, I jumped in pretty quick. So, a little quick background. So, Pamela Durkin, she has her own design firm, you know, Pamela Durkin Design, which is amazing. And what I love as well is that you are also super involved in the design community as an interior design coach. And so, you are super busy with both both businesses right now. I am, and I've been involved with, um, you know, I've been in love with interior design forever. In fact, I started when uh, I started, I took a class in high school and just kind of instantly fell in love with it and then decided that's what I was going to school for. So it's been a love affair that's been going on for a while now. We don't have to say exactly how many years, but it's been a, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so hold on, how did you get the cheat sheet where you got to take interior design like a class in high school? I don't know, but back in the day, I, I, we must have been well ahead of our time, but you know, when they were still chinking on tablets and things like that. But um, I think it was part of maybe home economics. I don't even know, but we had a teacher who happened to be also an interior designer. And luckily for me, she taught this class and I was like, wow, this is the perfect combination of art and science. And so it just appealed to me in, in such a way because I'm so evenly brained like that, which I hear is unusual, but it just was mm -hmm. all the things that I wanted to marry together. Originally, I was going to be an architect or go into advertising. So, you know, I've kind of blended all those things into marketing and design and creativity. It is funny how, you know, as you get into interior design and you really break that down and even construction in some aspect, as you mentioned it, yeah, there's a lot of art, there's a lot of math, there's a lot of science behind it, you know, um, a lot of reasoning as well as, as you mentioned, a lot of marketing advertising. I mean, that's really what builds your business. And so you have to incorporate all those mindsets anyways to be successful. You do. And I would add psychology to that, right? Because yeah, there, there's no people. doubt. <laughs> you got to read people and you got to know. I think that's the thing that is so very important, a skill to to hone and develop is we tend to be as creatives, we tend to be very intuitive, but we don't use it 
to further our business, and we should. And so reading body language, picking up on visual cues as we're talking to people, and we've all, I'm sure, you've been in the situation where you've had a client say something and you didn't quite believe them or thought, mm, they're not sold on this. And so you have to run with that, right? You have to take that a step further and be basically their guide, the person that's taking them through a process that's probably extremely overwhelming unless they're professionals at, at renovating and things like that, which most are not. So you have to be very intuitive and pick up on the psychology of what's going on. I really love that you shared that and the way you broke that down, Pam, because as you think about this, you, you talked about, you know, being able to notice visual cues, right? And you talked about reading body language and you know, as you think about how do you resolve doubts, concerns, and they can be really great. They can really be um, pre preventing the project to be successful. And, and I'll give a good example. You know, in, in years past, you know, in pre-construction especially, it can be really difficult as you're working through design. And, and budget is always a key factor, right, for any client, no matter what level they're at. You know, budget is still a priority to them. And um, I've had projects in the past that either, uh, you know, the budgets escalated and it became out of their appetite, where they're like, we're not going to move forward. And we had a, you know, a recent experience, especially with COVID as we're dealing with inflation and price increases. And, you know, that learning how to communicate with the client to understand, okay, what's their pain point? What, what's hanging them up right now on this project where they're about to cancel it? And then being able to kind of read the body language and say, look, if we do A, B, and C, we can still achieve what you want, but we can cut the cost down to more feasible. And we actually saved the project. Like it was really on its deathbed per se. And we brought it back to life and now we're in construction. But as you mentioned, it, it it's not something that happens overnight. I mean, it takes time as you start learning the psychology and, and what really is going to speak to the client. Absolutely. And we are, so we can, we can kind of touch on, there's four basic personality types that we can talk about, but I think that the most important thing is having these conversations with your clients because we're talking big numbers. And I think in our industry, we get desensitized to it. I know that you're in a very similar market than I as I am here in Naples. And, you know, we throw around big numbers a lot and we kind of get desensitized, like where you walk into these beautiful homes and you're like, yeah, it's okay. And so we have to bring ourselves back, right? We have to bring ourselves back and put ourselves in, in the client's shoes. And to the point that you mentioned earlier about budgets, it does not matter how affluent your client is. They may have the money, but that's not necessarily the reason why um, they're not going to necessarily say yes to everything. They still want us to be stewards of their money and to be fiscally responsible. And so that is, you know, you know, a dovetailing into some of the questions on how you, you know, create rapport quick. But we have to be mindful that even if we're dealing with a very affluent client, which most of us are, that, you know, we have to be mindful of their money. And that's what builds the trust. I, I, you broke that down so perfectly. I mean, the reality is, Pamela, as you think about this, it, no matter the client scale, and, and, and I love that you said desensitized because it is so common. This I feel like this is something that I have to continue to speak about with my team, especially in our production meetings that we have, is when you're dealing at a price level, at a multi-million that clients are spending on their home, it's really easy, you know, as you're going through the process to say information and in, information out. Okay, you want to make this change order, you know, and, and the pricing comes over and say it's like $375 and you just pass it on, you know, without thinking much, without really looking at it and saying, okay, if this, if I'm spending $375, like what does that equate? Like is, is 
that price equivalent to the work being done, right? And this is where, as you mentioned, being a good steward and really not being desensitized is understanding the time, the labor, the material that goes into this. And is this change order or is this add or is this deletion, you know, does it equate to what's being required? And, and sometimes we become desensitized and that's where we can really either earn or lose trust with the customer. Absolutely. And the funny thing is that most of us are not our customers. So we almost have to detach ourselves, right? Because most of us are not the uber affluent of the people that we are, you know, that we have as clients. Representing. So right. we have this weird thing where we have to detach ourselves because we can't relate to certain things. But on the other hand, we also have to bring ourselves back and be like, is this something? And also reading their body language. And they want to, they want us to give them a good reason why they should spend this money. Is there a payback or is there some sort of joy that they're going to get out of this that they, you know, hadn't thought of or, or whatever. It's something that comes up in the conversation when you're programming and, and getting to know people. So it, it is a process for both of us, you know, for the, for the client and for the steward of, of the work here. So, you know, we just have to be aware that, um, it's never just like a slam dunk just because, you know, just because they have the means or just because they have the money. Um, it's always an emotion. Every purchase you make, you have to remember, every purchase you make is an emotional decision. That is why you can buy a car for $10,000 or a million dollars, right? It's all on emotion. What do you think, what do you think's important? and what you value. And we have to get to that pretty quickly in projects because there are certain things that we value as creatives and builders and designers that clients don't. Um, and so we either have to figure out a way to explain why it's of value, or we have to be like, okay, we're gonna let this one go and we're gonna do something else. Yeah, and, and that really speaks to, as as you're alluding to, Pamela, is that you know, the education side of this, education, the database, and really tracking because, you know, with that emotional decision at, at times there's buyer's remorse, right? All of us have been through that buyer's remorse and maybe, you know, that pit in our stomach as you're spending a certain dollar amount and maybe price is escalating as it is in the market right now. Uh, so understanding how we're getting from point A to B is really important and how we're communicating that and really understand the client because, you know, there could be some times where they're wavering and, and even going back to, as you mentioned, just it's not only being desensitized and like really understanding what they're spending, but I, this is something where I've seen some of the biggest mistakes we've made with a client is where, uh, you know, as price, and I'll give a good example. We're working on landscape, right? And on landscape, it's pretty open-ended, you know, pavers and uh, the square footage. And there's like five different tiles of exterior finishes, you know, for the driveway, for around the pool and others. And it was so important that the t those takeoffs are right because as the trades are sending in information, we have to make sure that the price per square foot for the product that they're estimating, you know, if there's 300 square foot of material and they're putting 900 and they're charging by the square foot. I mean, you have to make sure those are right because if the client picks up on that, then the, it kind of opens Pandora's box where they're like, okay, Pamela, well, if I'm catching this, we're also you make mistakes, right? And so now it's like across the board. And that's where we really have to be careful that we are spending the time and tracking every little bit so that we are earning, you know, that good faith in the client. True. And I think that one excellent way to educate clients before they come to you is through marketing. And so we need to be telling more stories. I find, and maybe, I don't know, you'll, you'll be able to speak to this better in terms of um, 
from the construction side. But I find whenever I follow a designer on social media or anything like that, we are reporters. I hate reporters. Reporters are like, look at this tile, look at this cabinet, look at this color. Isn't this amazing? There's no, <laughs> there's no storytelling going on. So there's no, why is this important? How did we get to this point? How many conversations did we have? Where did we start and then end up? And why does that look different? Because design is a process and clients don't know what they don't know. So when they hire us, they're getting like an immersion education into what's, um, what's valuable, what has payback, what is timeless, what is trendy and all these other things. And so we need to be talking about that process when we're doing our marketing and our social media, if we do newsletters, anytime we have email marketing or anything with clients, because when those prospective clients come to us, they've heard some of those stories. They've been educated, they've been prepared. And so we don't have to start over, right? Um, so anytime you can continually be a great storyteller and explain why something came about, I think, um, you had done a, a post about a very tricky situation that you had done in a home and and it was like hours of time to make these two pieces these two pieces of i think it was patio glass or something mm -hmm. indoor outdoor like match up perfectly and i so appreciated that post because as a designer i know how many hours that is but this also helps clients realize why they pay what they pay what why things are expensive why they pay for our expertise and our professionalism, because that one detail probably took days and meetings and emails upon emails. And so it's good for them to know that we care enough to do all that. And there's, you know, there's a fee to that. I love that you really went down this path and share that, Pamela, because as you think about that, that that's something we don't do enough. And, and there is a fine line. I will say, you know, a lot of us, we don't want to put every mistake, right? Or every issue or every oversight, right? I mean, there's part of that, but at the same time, there's still times when it's appropriate to do so to showcase, hey, you know, this, this is how we've prevented this in the future. Here's a mistake we've made and we can be transparent about that. But more importantly, as you mentioned, what's the story behind it? Because as th there's value in every design that you're doing, there's value in the construction that we're doing. And there's a lot that's unseen. It's real easy to look at this pretty picture and say, wow, this is amazing without, as you mentioned, understanding, well, this entire wall had to be built off site, had to be templated, had to be motorized, had to be checked and checked and checked. And then we could build it in the field and make a reality, right? And then there's all the QC behind it. And then clients can understand, okay, that makes sense. You know, you're cantilevering this, you know, there's some structural components and then you're building off site. And so that way, when they see the price tag, it makes more sense because they, they understand the journey there. And, and that's just something we're not, doing enough of as an industry is I've never heard it said like this, like a reporter, but I love that. That's something I'm going to have to steal and use now. Absolutely. And I don't necessarily think that you need to bring up mistakes, but for instance, you know, I had a client who ended up um, doing like a two level bar in their kitchen. And instead of just posting a picture of this kitchen, I said, this is why we did this. This is why we did it this way. We had discussions as to whether or not it should be one level or two level. And this is why we came to this conclusion because of X, Y, Z. And so it's not that it was a mistake, but it's just explaining the, the questions and the processes that goes through when you're designing something where as a designer or as a builder, you're not just saying this is the way it is, right? You're saying customer, 
this is what I think you should do, but let's talk about it. And then they may come back to you and say, I love it. Or they may say, you know what? I had a house where that I had that and it caused, you know, this issue for me. And so you make the change. So I think that's the storytelling that we need to be doing more of. We don't need to point out the mistakes, but even just point out the fact that, you know, we don't just like get it all figured out in five minutes. It's a process. It's months and maybe even longer than that. And sometimes, you know, like you said, thoughts change, buyer's remorse comes in. How many times has a client with you picked something, a finish, then said, I don't know if I wanted to do that. Let's change it. You look at a couple of different things and then you end up going back to the first finish. That just happened to me last week. And sometimes you just have to be patient because you know this is their journey. Like they got to go there. They got to figure it out. And, and sometimes we have to just let that process play out and then we can tell the story of how that came to be. Yeah, I love how you shared that because the reality is, and this goes back to the psychology, right, is sometimes they have to let it play out or think about it or process it in their head, right? To, and then they can make that clear decision. And as you mentioned, you're like, well, sometimes you have to say, here's how I've done it or we're recommending it, but let's talk about it, right? Let's, let's have some open communication. I'll give a good example. There, uh, early on in my career, my manager, uh, we were doing this amazing project and it was in downtown Phoenix and it was a high rise. And, you know, they, they wanted to open up and have this amazing view of the Phoenix corridor but logistically, from a builder's side, it's very complicated, right? I mean, you're talking about something that's structural, multi-level, opening up for, you know, some window. And the client was asking. They were sitting in the meeting, and we're there on the side, and they're asking my manager, hey, this is what we want to do. My manager's like, you don't want to do that. Like, it's going to be so much money. It's going to take a lot of time. And they're like, don't tell me I'll spend my money, you know? And, and it was very eye-opening to me where it's like, okay, a better way, right? Okay, sure. That's a great idea. It's going to open it up. You know, you're going to have more natural light. It's going to do this amazing thing. Cause and effect, right? We're happy to do that. But keep in mind, you're probably looking at this range of budget of this range of time, and then they can make that decision, right? And, and sometimes, as you mentioned, it's reading the room, reading our client that we should never dictate our clients whether to save or spend money. Like that's not our decision, but it's to point them in the right direction and let them make that decision once they understand you know, all, all the protocol and, you know, everything that can happen from that decision, right? Absolutely. I mean, just like everyone else, our clients want to be heard, right? They don't yeah. want to be told what to do. So in that situation, I would be like, that is something that we can do. Here are the pros and cons of that decision. Right. right. And mm -hmm. here's, here's the good parts about it. And here's the parts that I need you to think about. I had a client today that said, you know, we were walking through and and I was like, the lighting in here is all over the place. Like it's different bulbs. It's, it's making everything look super yellow. So we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna recommend that we go to LEDs. I said, but be clear, that is going to be a real line item on your budget because you have hundreds of lights. So I said, I want you to consider this. I want you to think about this. I want you to put some time into this because this is gonna make a huge difference, but there's a, there is a cost. So I think that we need to learn how to sell our ideas and part of that is saying like everyone wants to be heard everyone wants to be appreciated and of course if we're dealing with affluent clients i'm finding most of mine which is great for me are former ceos or executives so they make decisions quick which i love but they're in an element that is unusual for them first of all they're in a creative element which kind of throws everybody off but if you're a past ceo or current executive you're not used to not being like 
the person make like understanding all the nuances of what's going on. So you have to realize that this is unsettling. And so we have to be thoughtful of that. And we have to remember that and just present it like a business decision. You know, when don't, we should never make decisions for our clients. You know, I tell designers all the time, that's a $20,000 sofa. Just be like, this is a $20,000 sofa. This is why it's $20,000. Tell you, tell me what you want to do. It's not an, it's not a, affront to us if they say I don't want to do it or I do want to do it it's just a business decision and that's how we should approach these things that's a that's a great example too because even with the example of the twenty thousand dollars sofa the way you're approaching that and if I'm listening to you Pamela as you're sharing that you're saying hey here's why it's twenty thousand right maybe it's the craftsmanship maybe it's the upholstery maybe it's the size <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know the the freight I mean whatever it is and so it's not just hey I'm slapping you with the price tag but here's a theory behind it, and then they're going to make an educated decision based on what they want to do. And, and something you touched upon is that, you know, all of us are advertising. You talked about this as you took this in school. You know, if you didn't do design, you'd probably be in advertising, but advertising is such a big part of your business. And for you, you've had so much success marketing to the affluent client, which can be really hard. And so, you know, for anyone listening that's new and, and maybe hasn't, you know, been in that position yet, you know, how can they market? How can they be magnetic to an affluent client? So you have to be where they're at, or you have to align yourself with other people who already have those clients. And that's, that's what I've been doing. Now, granted, I live in a place that has the highest concentration of millionaires. Naples is a good place to be. It's right? not a bad place to be. Um, yeah. So we do, you know, I do have that advantage, but we also have the highest concentration of interior designers per square mile. So oh, competition really? is insane. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we've got both sides of it. But I think that you need to be in the right place, just like anything else. Um, so when you align yourself with other trades or vendors or related companies that are also going after an affluent client and you're all small businesses, talk about, you know, the power of collaborative work, right? Why not go after those people together? Why not host a group event? where you all share in maybe the fees. Why not be at the wine tastings or the charity events or the high-end car events? That's where they're hanging out. Or maybe like all of my clients are either into yoga or golf. Um, you know, they like their cars, they like to travel. So you can speak to those hobbies that they love, even if you don't do those hobbies, right? Tennis is big and things like that. So you're kind of, you're creating rapport and that's how people come to you because they're like, oh, we have something in common or you're, you're helping me with, you know, develop that part of my life in my home or wherever. So this is brilliant. I mean, honestly, Pamela, it's brilliant. And, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. So, um, you know, as you start thinking about this, I mean, you are who you associate with, right? I mean, your network is who you end up becoming. And, and there's so many, like, uh, physically, emotionally, you know, uh, our personality is really, yeah, it's, it's just who our network is. And I remember when I was young in college, I mean, I was 21, I had a really good friend from Eritrea. Uh, some people say Eritrea in Africa, right? And he, he, you know, after high school, like, he's dressed in business suits and he's, like, super professional. And this, like, he was aspiring and he's like, look, Brad, I, this, this is, you know, I want to go to the business realm and this is what I plan on doing. And he really, you know, I remember seeing that at a young age. And, uh, but to your point is I had a client tell me, he said, you know, Brad, if I wasn't referred to you, 
and he's a big golfer. He said, I would have went to the country club and I would have asked other members of the country club, who did they hire to build their house? Right. And you have to think about that, whether it be yoga, whether it be golf, you know, car shows, which we do have in Arizona, you know, Barrett Jackson's going to be coming on a few weeks. So really changing your network. And, and you actually shared something that I think was really valuable too, because it's one thing to be either a member of a country club or golf. Cause I found as I travel, you know, I tell my wife, as we go on vacations, I, I do love to uh, go play around the golf when I can, because I meet the most interesting people. Like I'm on vacation, I'll play at 10 AM and these people playing at 10 AM are typically CEOs or executives or have done something, you know, successful. And you never know if they're in the market in Scottsdale, but, but what you said is even the trades, the vendors, the suppliers, right? It's yeah. They're networking events, you know, they're meet and greet, they're lunch and learns. I mean, these are things where you can build those relationships and start building your name in, in, in these groups and, and, and friendships and relationships that maybe help you, you know, advertise and market to that affluent client. Right. And one way to develop this is, um, through, you can put together like a monthly newsletter and that can go to current clients past clients, prospective clients, and then those vendors that you want to build relationships with because they start to see your personality come out and they start to see what's important to you. They start to see how you address certain things. And this is all through storytelling, right? Or um, other means. Like I think people should also get to know you. People do business with people. So we also are not really good at putting ourselves in front of the camera. And we need to humanize our small businesses way better than we do. And a lot, especially a lot of designers, I don't know if this is an issue with builders, you can speak to that, but a lot of designers are super introverted. Do not wanna be anywhere in front of anything. Um, and I think that's a big mistake. I think as creatives, we need to amp up our creativity. We need to be showing what makes us different because we're all starting to look the same and we don't want that because then we look like i don't know a commodity and then why do they need us right then let's go online so we need to look we need to start you know kind of taking back our power our creativity and showing that to the world that's how people get want to get close to you right because they want to be part of that it's like it's exciting and they feel like you have something that they they could never dream of having and and yeah, your creativity and the magnetic. I mean, this is a term you use a lot. And, and if there's anyone that wants to understand how to humanize herself and really be out there, I mean, you do such a good job, Pamela, like your Instagram. It's like, you know, you do a really good job about that. And and first, anyone that hasn't done it, I mean, a lot of us can be nervous in front of camera, but it's practice. It's routine, right? It's repetition. You become more comfortable and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to accept myself for whatever it is and I'm going to go out there and be normal. And um, I, I was actually at the link. Don't be normal. Be you. What, well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, not normal. I, I meant like be yourself. <laughs> be yourself. Right? You yeah. Be yourself. Be yourself. That, Love that. Yeah. So normal is not the right term, you know, but be, be yourself because all of us are unique in our own way. Right. And have our own personalities. And, and I love that you share that because it's the humanized. And, and I was at a LinkedIn global conference and, um, uh, one of the female speakers that was there and she was speaking about LinkedIn at the time. And, you know, she's very prominent, has amazing following. And she's like, look, I, I used to put a lot of stress. She's, and this is her perspective, not mine, but she's at, at the conference, we're on a panel together. And she said, you know, as a female, like I always felt that if I'm in front of camera, like I have to have my makeup done, I have to be all ready. And, you know, cause everyone's judging me and there's, you know, what am I wearing? And she's like, you know what? You know, a couple of days I'm like, I'm in my pajamas. I haven't got ready. I put my makeup on. I'm just going to be me. 
And, and she went on and she's like, these videos went viral. And she's like, you know what? The thing is so many times we overthink the room and sometimes we just have to be ourselves and people appreciate Pamela for who she is or Brad or whoever, and, and not worry about what anyone's saying or any trolls that may be out there, but, but be yourself, be real, right? We're not trying to preach to be fake, to be an affluent client and like, no, be real. This is what we're aspiring to do. We're genuine and we want to do this right. Absolutely. And this is going to attract the people to you that think you're wonderful. I mean, why wouldn't we want more wonderful clients? And I will say most affluent people are self-made. I think it's like 70 yeah. some plus percent. So, I mean, they want us, they want to help small businesses. They want to see the person behind the business and they want to support that. They really believe in business and they can relate to people who are building a business. They admire it. And so I think that we should take advantage of that and you know show us ourselves that we are our businesses because i know so many of us our businesses are our whole lives they're our hearts they're they're a part of us they're like our you know one of our children right so why not you know start to make that connection i i love that and this goes back to earlier in the conversation when you said all of us should think about how we're reporting right how are we you know, marketing our business. And I remember one of the most painful experiences I had on a project that really was bad. And it was a project where I didn't have an interior designer, right? And you've heard me talk about this. I've been in Luann Nigaris and I've talked about this. And so it was, it was so bad and it was so painful. And I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm going to have an interior designer on every project. And so I always spoke about that on social media, podcasts, every forum. If they're hiring AFT, you're hiring a designer, you're hiring an architect, you're putting the team together because this will lead to a successful project where you're going to like me by the end of the project and actually can get the project done in a reasonable amount of time, right? And and it's funny how by doing that, not only the reporting marketing side, but this goes back to what you're saying too is the affluent client side. What I found is that by being able to have a designer who's super talented, who's spending the time, and there's so much that goes into interior design. Now I have projects that I can market that are just beautiful. They're, people love them, right? And it's bringing in a different audience. And, and again, like you mentioned, now you're meeting different vendors, different relationships that, you know, for the affluent client. And so it just opens up a whole new, uh, area to, you know, of, of contacts and information that I didn't have before until making that decision. Hey, this is how our business is going to be run. It's going to be better for us and our clients in the long term. Absolutely. And the other thing that you created by doing that is you created a boundary and that boundary led you to better clients and better projects. So I always want people in the industry to think ahead of time of what type of client and what kind of project they want. Not in the moment when they've got somebody, you know, they've picked up the phone and somebody says, I want to talk to you about a project. But I want you to sit down and really think about what it is, what's the next level project that I really want to start saying yes to? And what projects do I want to start transitioning out of? And what are the, like, the characteristics of both of those? So that when I'm interviewing someone, even pre-interviewing them on a, on a call, there may be some things that come up and you're like, mm, I've been here before. And even though it sounds really awful if I'm going to turn something down. That's what I keep hearing is it's so weird to turn things down or turn things away. It doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, I have learned that when you get really clear on what kind of projects and what kind of people you want to deal with, it changes everything. First of all, you feel awesome and you feel appreciated and when you feel appreciated um you go above and beyond for those clients so you're you're doing your best work 
as opposed to taking on jobs and then being upset. And that's just bad all around. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. Now, we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. It's amazing how uh, the clients that you, you build this rapport with, right, that understand the value. And you mentioned this, Pamela. I mean, a lot of the clients we work with, they, they've, they're self-made. They've worked hard. They've created you know, their little empire, if you will. And they've done it hard and they, they believe in you. They see what you're doing. They see the value. And so the clients understand your value. You're going to go above and beyond. You're going to find savings. You're going to work with vendors. I mean, expedite. The, I mean, whatever it may be, you're going to go that extra mile for them. But what I really love that you said is you, you use the term boundary and you focused on that because as a business, and it took me a little while to figure this out, but as a small business, I mean, if you don't have standards or protocol, either business acumen or a business plan to really understand this is my direction, this is... This is the client I'm catering to. This is the client I'm trying to bring in. This is my ideal client. And without understanding who that person is, what they are, how they find you, and then what's going to make that project successful, it, it's too hard of an industry. There's just no way in design, architecture, and construction to do that effectively. Yeah, you can't take on everything. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I think, you know, we work on creating an avatar for your, what I call your perfect future client. And that could be, you literally could go back through all your projects and take the best personality traits and the best things about those projects and create the, you know, perfect future client. And, um, you know, it's not just the facts about them, like their income or where they live or what type of work they do, although some of those things are also good. But then like, how do they feel about, like, um, how do they feel about family or entertaining or what do they do in their spare time? Or are they um, travelers or are they philanthropic or whatever it is. So just as much information as you can write down to create this well-rounded idea of the perfect future client, it will be very telling. Because, you know, as you go back, 80%, you know, of your work comes from 20% of the people, right? And so, yeah. you know, going back and looking at your best clients, your most profitable projects, and putting all of that together and start really thinking about what exactly that is. I, I had a designer in one of my courses and he'd been in business a long time, 15, 20 years. And he was like, yeah, this part about the client thing, he's like, you know, it was kind of, you know, seemed like it was geared towards beginning businesses. I'm like, okay, I understand, but everyone should, well, first of all, your client changes over time. So don't, don't like believe that because it, it will evolve over time. But he's like, I never really thought about it before. Like all my clients are lawyers. And I'm like, really? He's like, I never thought about that. 15 years. I never thought about that. And I'm like, okay. And where do you think those lawyers are? And he's like, well, they're not on Instagram. I'm like, no, they're on LinkedIn. And right. so he had never thought, he had never put the two together that my future, best future clients are, are lawyers and they tend to be a personality type. So we all know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. And so they don't have time and they have lots of money, but they want it done and they want it done quick. Like that, that's how your marketing can address all those pain points that those people have, because now you know what they are because you've narrowed down who your avatar is. I, I love that you shared that, especially the example. And, and it's understanding your demographic, right? Because if, you, if you're advertising lawyers, yeah, they're not going to be on Instagram, financial advisors. And part of that's, you know, they can only share so much online anyways. And so, but LinkedIn, they're on there. They're connected. You know, that's a network and, you know, that's important. But but again, the avatar, I mean, you have it broken down so much, you even know what your client looks like, right? The, the avatar is actually, but, but maybe not physically, but at least characteristically, right? What draws them to me, to Pamela Durkin and, and, and my firm? So let me ask you this because you've, you know, sharing that wisdom that you've had as far as, you know, how to leverage to and be magnetic, right, to the fluent client. You know, how has that, how have you leveraged your network to multiply, to qualify those leads, to, to in, enhance and increase those opportunities? So while it is wonderful to get leads from clients, think of it this way. Clients want to help us, but they're busy and or they're not qualifying people necessarily. So I don't know how many of you out there have gotten leads from other clients. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not even the same in the same league as the client, right? That you originally had. And so you kind of feel bad even turning them down because you're like, this isn't, this isn't gonna work out. So I like to leverage where I can get multiple leads from single sources. So for instance, my builder network, realtors, um, we have a lot of high rises here, so the building managers, I mean, there's, you know, 30 units or more in the building, maybe even up to 100. So one person can give you five, 10, 
amazing opportunities because they've already been sort of pre-vetted, pre-qualified. And then when you get a recommendation, you know, that moves the process along so much faster. So I would say, you know, leverage your great sources of multiple referral opportunities where you can help each other out, um, you know, sort of supersize your reach, as I say. So that could be your builders. It could be your realtors. It could be your building managers. It could be your granite company, your flooring company, your cabinet company, your lighting company. I mean, all your AV, um, all these things, we're all in contact. We're all trying to get more clients, right? And we're all trying to get better clients. Like we all want better. I don't know if we want more, but we want better. And so why not work together? and then get, you know, create this great team of people and all this rapport. Well, well, the key is, as you mentioned, I mean, th those are some amazing advice, right? How to continue to expand the network and the opportunity because it's about building that correct funnel, right? You want to bring everyone into that funnel and then you want to have a great vetting price, process to understand your ideal client to get them through the funnel into the, you know, into the, um, into the company, right? And into the, into the process, into, you know, our projections and, and our backlog. But, you know, for you, you know, as you think about those interviews and then it comes time to, okay, well, we got the intro, you know, our vendor referred us, our client referred us, they're here. How do we capture that? Right. And you, I know you have like a shock and awe box, but even just that. Yeah. So what is that? I mean, what's the shock and awe box? Cause you had me shocked and awed, curious. Were you curious? Always. <laughs> so well, the process that I do is, is I do, uh, you know, a fairly quick phone interview. I do not take calls like on the fly from clients, but I'll be like set up a time. So I use a program called Calendly where I just give them a calendar link and it has available times already set up in there. And then they can book the time um, at their convenience without going back and forth. Because again, who's got time to go back and forth with nine emails on these things? So then we get on the phone and the and one of the first things we talk about is of course where the lead comes from what they're um what they're looking to do I always ask them if they've ever hired a designer before most times they have not but that's really good information to know because again that goes into your marketing you know you're educating a client about that process because it's very intimidating we're intimidating designers are intimidating to a lot of people so we don't want to be that way um so you know we do all that and then i've you know maybe 10 years ago I got really specific on style as well because I knew that the efficiency of what I do in design lends itself to a very clean style. It's just the way I work. And so we have to think of time and money, you know, kind of as it relates to each other. So these are some of the questions that I go over. I don't really ask people about budget, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people do. Nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you, I don't know. So why not be the, the hero that helps them work through that? So I don't know, the budget question doesn't work for me. Um, and I would rather deal with really nice people. So I don't really care about the budget. I can get people to spend money, so I don't really worry about that. <laughs> um, but what we do is once we get through that first process, if I feel like we're having good conversations and I will always say, we're interviewing each other Mm -hmm. This rapport is so important. And if I don't feel like we have good rapport, then I will walk away from the job. I don't care how great it is. And I'm telling you instantly, they feel like you have their best interest in mind. Um, just saying that I will turn this down if I don't think this is a good fit makes people feel like you really care that it's, it's not just a transaction to you. 
So that is one thing that people really appreciate. And I do practice it. Like if I don't think it's good, I'm going to say, you know, it's not a good fit. But if we get through that part process and we decide to have an in-person meeting, what I will do before our meeting is go ahead and send the shock and awe box. And, and this is before the meeting. This is before the meeting. This is before okay. I'm hired. So this is not something that most people, most people will send a gift maybe once they've been hired to kick off a project or even at the end of a project. But think about this. If you send something to someone before you've gotten the project, what kind of impression do you make on them? Yeah, I mean, a big impression because they're going to show that like it's meaningful. Like by me inquiring to you, Pamela, do you actually care that it's not just, I'm just not another person, you know, in the pipeline. It's actually someone that is valuable to you. Right. So have you ever heard of the, the technique where you tip your waiter or wait staff before you've gotten your meal? That's the kind of the same thing where you give them a really beautiful tip. Let me tell you, you're going to get the best service of your life. So this is the same concept. So you send a shock and awe box. So hold on. Let me, let me ask you this before you go forward. So when you bring up the example of like the waiter waitress, how do you even do that? You know, I know it depends on the restaurant stuff. I mean, I, I, I've tip. never heard Say, that. Say, hey, we're going to... We just, you know, we know you're going to take really good care of us tonight. So here's your tip ahead of time and let's have a great meal. They're wow. going to work so hard for you. Love that. Right? Because why, why wait to assume that they're going to get something good? Mm -hmm. Especially now. I mean, gosh. So that's kind of what you're doing. You're tipping the waiter ahead of time with the shock and awe box. So in the shock and awe box, it's a box that I put together. Um, you always want a FedEx it. So because FedEx is considered... Super important, especially if you're working with commercial clients, um, that will get you past the gatekeeper. So if, you know, you have an office, you know, if you're dealing with an executive or anything like that, that's bypassing the person that would normally open the mail and get right on the desk. So that's another technique to make sure you do FedEx. Um, so inside the box is a couple different things. First of all, I give them some really nice, um, like fancy flavored waters and some Thing to eat and I'll put a little note in there and I'll say listen I'm giving you a lot of information to go through and to look over at your leisure but while you're doing that why don't you have a snack on me and so it makes them kind of settle in so they can go through the information so in the box I give like a gift to him I usually give him like one of those credit card tools that has like nine different things that they can stick in their wallet and take wherever and um, I'll give her like a little bag that she can put in her purse that's like foldable so that that can go anywhere. Now, none of this has my brand on it. I'm not slapping my thing all over it. It's just a gift. So we don't need to like engrave everything with our, with our name. And um, then I will also send like past copies of my newsletter. I say, here's some of my newsletters. So you get to know me a little bit. I will also include testimonials. I will include my professional profile, which kind of outlines types of projects I've done, scopes of projects, dollar, like, you know, this is a $4 million house, a $5 million house, a $2 million house. So people understand that you've done stuff in there that they're looking to do. Um, I will also put in my process. I will put in general time frames for things like, you know, this is how we kick it off. This is how long this part will take. This is generally how long I said, this is all predicated on, you know, of course, what we do together. Talk about meetings, my texting policy. I do a FAQ sheet. So the reason I do all this, 
they have time to digest all this information prior to meeting me in person. So we've already started to get to know each other. They've had a chance to look over the information. Then when we have that final meeting, they're going to bring up the things that they're like, they don't either understand or they don't like, which isn't really much, but it's okay. There can be things they're like, I don't understand this. I don't know why you do it this way. Then we address those specific things. Instead of giving them 19 documents that they have to somehow digest in a meeting where we're going over a million things, walking through the house, all that stuff, they get a chance to do that. It's funny because I'll put in my package, I'm like, I'm not a marriage counselor. So figure <laughs> out, if you guys don't agree on something, figure out how you're gonna work through it because I'm not gonna, I'm not taking sides. Like, that's not what I do. And so they, they, they laugh about it now. They're like, we got it, we're gonna, if anything comes up, we're gonna leave and come back and make a united decision. And so you're kind of, again, these are all boundaries that you're setting ahead of time. They think you're super organized, which everyone loves in a situation where they feel like they're completely out of control and they're taking on some crazy project that they've never done. And you get to set the tone. You're setting all the rules. You're setting all the boundaries and you're giving them a chance to look it over and address what concerns them. Honestly, this is one of the most genius ideas I've ever heard, Pamela. I'm not going to... I did not come up with it, but... Really? No, absolutely not. This is genius because I'm like, Pamela's sitting here sharing this. I mean, this is so valuable for anyone listening because you think about, you know, first impressions, you know, and, and one of the difficulties, I mean, one of the advantages of social media, I'll say, is that like for you, Pamela, you can, like you said, you can showcase your personality, you can humanize it. This is who I am. This is what I do. And there are clients watching. They may be watching for six months, for a year, a couple of years. So they feel like they know you. And at least when they come in, there's, you know, that meeting's a lot easier because they feel like, okay, we're already at a basis. I know how Pamela does business. I know her style or aesthetic, like we're a good fit, but even more so for the clients that aren't on social media or even the ones that are to just make that first impression where you're like, Hey, here's some flavored water, right? Here's, you know, something for him and her here's, you know, something to eat. And then here's like, without being branded, I'm not super salesy, right? It's not like what you're trying to do, but you're laying out some good information and what I really love that you put in there is like, well, here's a past project that was X dollars. Here's ones that Y dollars. And like you said, I don't care the budget. I just want to work for good people. And that's something that I say all the time in my sales process. Like I don't, I don't care about the size of the home or the budget. Like I just want to work for good people. It's too hard of a business, but it's just so powerful that you do this because the preparation now, again, you're, you, you're showing their value. You're showing that you're concerned about their time and you're investing in them as a potential client, which now shows that you're worth to them. Agreed. And also to think about this, you know, design clients or construction clients can spend, I mean, how much, what's the lifetime customer value of one of those clients to put together a $50 gift box ahead of time to get a project that's going to net you 10, 20, 30, $100,000. I mean, why don't we do this? What, what is, why haven't we thought of this before? And it's not to say that, you know, we should have thought of that before, but I, these are things that I want to help the industry. This is, you asked me a question, why are you so passionate about helping, helping other creatives? And this is why, like, it doesn't have to be as hard as it is. There are some things that we can learn and some things that we can implement that are relatively easy that can really make a huge difference in our quality of life. And then again, what we can put out in the world and you know who we can share our gift with. 
Yeah. And I, w- I want to get to that because I want to get to what you do for the community and as, especially your coaching aspect. But just before that, you know, one thing I did want to address is that, you know, a lot of times on your channel and, and you're very passionate about, it's not just about more business, it's better business, right? And I think you, you mentioned that, that it's really difficult, especially early on in your career to really understand that value proposition. You said it just a few minutes ago that, you know, being able to say no to a client or, hey, we're not a good fit or this isn't going to work. I, you know, it's hard to do that, to have better business than more business. It absolutely is. It is. It takes um, stamina. And this and comes back to having a good a courage. It has. A, it comes back to having a really good support network. So we all need that. You know, we did. Um, that was one of your things. The support network's huge, like other people kind of bolstering us up. But here's the reality situation. I understand that, you know, we take business to keep food on the table because it is not easy to run a business, to have employees, to keep the train rolling down the tracks. But I think that we have to make steps towards dovetailing in the better projects even a little bit at a time so that we are moving forward and so we have to be conscious as to what those better projects look like and then understand that sometimes we are need to say no to ones so that we can leave space for those better ones to come right because you can't work 24 7 and market and build and design and do accounting and manage people like you can't do all that and so i always say you're the biggest you're the most important employee in your business and that's true it is true and and the reality is i mean there is a leap of faith there to understand that hey i may turn that down this project and it may be a good one but it's not the right fit because the better one or the right fit will come down the road and if i'm already tied up at this i can't take that one or i spread myself too thin and it's really hard but by understanding that you're going to start cultivating and creating this environment of the right people. You know, from your side, Pamela, though, as you think, you know, as we get into this, I mean, now you've given so much back. I mean, I'm, we're, we're 50 minutes in this conversation and I feel like I've taken notes the entire time with the ton of things I'm already going to apply. Like I've learned so much. It's just amazing. Like you just have so much information and you're so energetic and passionate about it. So I can, I, I know why you're successful and why you're going into the coaching side. So where, where did that start? Why did it start? You know, it, especially now as you kind of see these two businesses flourishing for you. Yeah. So funny is, um, you know, I've been studying marketing for like, I think it's almost seven or 10 years now. And so kept progressing in groups to learn more about marketing, ended up getting into a mastermind group. And in this mastermind was 40 other business owners, mostly men. There was a few women in there. There was absolutely, I was the only creative (laughs) Um, so I was, I wasn't looked at as weird, but I always felt like "Mm," everyone's like, you know, kind of doing way different stuff. And the one thing I learned from that mastermind, so there were, there were businesses in there that were, you know, one to three people, but there were people in there that were doing a hundred million dollars. So this is the power of being around, you know, smart other smart business owners. But the thing that I learned in that mastermind was everyone, everyone has the same stuff that they deal with in their business. It doesn't matter if you have three people and you're doing $10,000 or you're doing a hundred million dollars, the fears and the, the thought process of, you know, just pushing yourself is all the same. And so we used to do this thing called hot seats and somebody would get up and talk about a problem. And invariably every time I'd 
you know, walk up to the microphone and I would give my two cents. And every time I would come back down, someone would be like, so you don't want to be a coach? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be a coach. I'm just a designer. Like, I don't, you know, and they're like, well, you're good at it. And um, I have always been good at sort of distilling the big issue um, at hand. And I just never really recognized it. And so I finally kind of came to terms with it and started getting into the coaching. Well, I can see why. I mean, just, I mean, your personality is very, uh, you know, it's super attractive. Like you have this energy and it's like, you, you know, you, you create excitement, right? And it's not just that, it's very profound as far as techniques and information and value where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I need to apply A, B, and C, which is going to help kind of our protocol even more as we're continuing to refine this. You know, so how long has this been going that you've been working on the coaching side with the interior design community? So it's been about a year. So I started out, actually, what started the ball rolling is I got asked to do a speech for a local design organization here on how to run a better business. And then from there, I decided I was going to write a book about that. And so took the speech, created the book, and then from the book, decided to go into the coaching. So, so how does that work then? So if I'm young designer X and I'm looking at moving forward, I'm like, okay, I need to speak to Pamela. Like, what are the steps? Like, how do I find you to even, you know, begin, uh, you, you know, your course and that instruction? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I have, you know, I, I believe that everyone should have sort of like an entry level, um, well, way people can work with you in an entry level and then kind of move up the ladder. So I have some master classes and then I have some <clears throat> quick hit things called the PDQ session where you can spend an hour with me and we kind of distill like the biggest problem at hand. And then we have the in-demand designer program, which is the six module program of how to create your marketing plan for your business and then private coaching. So we, you know, we kind of offer all of those things. It just depends on what level you're at. And then we do masterminds too. So you can find me on any social media, um, you know, kind of out there, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I'm all over the place. And you can certainly email me. So I'd be happy to talk to anybody that even just is curious about what coaching is. And I'm, I approach my coaching just like I approach my design business. Rapport is everything. I think coaching is just as impersonal as interior design. If I don't think we're a good fit, I will tell you. Um, and, you know, I think that's the most important thing. But if anyone's curious about coaching and just what that means, then, you know, I'm even happy to talk to somebody about that. Well, here at the end of the conversation too, I'll make sure you can get those handles and I'll have those in the show notes as well, especially on the social media when we post this. But, you know, from I, what's difficult with anyone is right. Trying to understand how to run your business. And, and it's a lot of time, right? Especially if you're a sole entrepreneur, if you don't have a big staff, you're trying to manage marketing and business and sales, and then you're trying to actually do the project and work with the client. So for you, I mean, I, I know you've spoken about time blocking. I mean, how, how do you effectively manage your time, especially for someone such as yourself, Pamela, where you have the coaching side, you have the design side. I mean, there's just so much on your plate. I do. I have to like color code my entire calendar and it's full. And, you know, here's full disclosure. Some days I do really good at that and some days I don't. And, you know, that's the hum human side of reality is that, you know, you do the best you can and you just keep moving forward, right? So, you know, this year I spent a lot of time on goals that I wanted to achieve, but also spent a lot of time on what the measurements were for those goals and then break those down. So that is really how I'm setting up my calendar 
um, where there are specific uh, milestones and timeframes to certain things. And so that's how I'm working on all of that. I do have a masterclass on it because I think it's so important. We, time and money are so interlinked. Um, our profitability is so tied to what we spend our time on. So that's really, really important to me. I mean, that is very profound, right? Our profitability is based on where we spend our time. I mean, how true is that, right? And really the effectiveness of our company, or our team, you know, how, where we put our attention and our focus, you know, that's, that's what follows. And, and how do you create healthy boundaries? Because I think this is really difficult as well. I mean, it's one thing to block out time and really be, you know, have time blocking and understand, you know, I was speaking with Nick Schiffer, who's a friend of mine, he's a builder in Boston. And, you know, he said, look at, you know, I could kill myself all day, 20 hours a day. I could be working sleep four hours, you know, but I have to find time to go to the gym. I have to find time. There's still a health, you know, aspect of this. So how do you create healthy boundaries, not just for you, but your customers as well? Well, the shock and awe box really helps with the boundaries with customers. Cause I spell out a lot of things like these are the days I take meetings. This is why I do it this way, because I need those other days to do the work right for your project. And so explaining what those, why you have things set up the way you do really makes sense to people. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I think it comes with um, practice and I think it comes with wisdom. I'm like, I don't know if I should say age, but uh, <laughs> with wisdom. No, but there's life experience. I mean, you can say life experience, learn. right? Yeah, you, I mean, you just learn. And that's another reason, like I wanna coach other people because I don't want you to have to wait 30 years to figure this stuff out. Let's do it <laughs> now. Like yeah. leapfrog, leapfrog your way to it when you've been in business five years. Why not? I mean, that's just going to move you forward ahead of time. But absolutely, you know, I say that you can't give your best self if your tank is empty. And so taking care of yourself, getting good sleep, doing whatever it is that makes you feel good, exercise, movement, music, concerts, art, whatever it is, we have to make sure that we're incorporating that. And I know that there's a lot of parents out there and, you know, who are dealing with nighttime stuff with young kids and they are intense. But I will encourage you even a half an hour a day to try to get that time. Because again, you can't be the best parent. You can't be the best business owner. You can't be the best manager. You can't be the best designer, builder, whatever, if you have nothing left to give. And so... I just encourage you to do whatever fills that tank. I love that. And, you know, there's so many questions I have for you, and I want to be sensitive to your time. And you've, you've, we can do a part so, two sometime. Yeah, we, we're going to have to do part two because I think we got through like three questions I wanted to ask you in this whole hour. Uh, you gave me 18 questions. I did. And we got through, I think, three of them, which is amazing. And, um, but the conversation, I mean, it's just, again, like it's very insightful, right, Pamela? I mean, you, you know, you have so much life experience, so much wisdom, and, and you've done such a good job sharing that with the community and being so open and, you know, super appreciative because I, I know a lot of us can struggle. Life as an entrepreneur, uh, said it so many times, it's up and down, it changes every five minutes. And there's some real high highs and some real low lows. And, you know, that mindset, that personal health, personal, you know, it, it is so important because it can be low and we have to have a network of people that we can confide in and trust and speak with because at the end of the day, Pamela, you're having a lot of the same challenges I am, right? And and having that network is really important because it's like it's not just me, right? And 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 by learning from you, okay, these are other ways I can kind of meander and, and work around some of these and and prepare myself or set myself up to succeed and be successful by by handling it a certain way. 
Yeah, I mean, and the mental component is, it's challenging. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in your business. There's always, we always, we always want to do more. I think we're always creating and um, kind of moving forward. We tend to be, I know I am very futuristic. I think this business tends to be futuristic. It's almost like, ah, oh, accomplishment, keep going. Like, what are, what are we doing today? We need to just stop and remember that we're doing a lot of stuff and we need to reward ourselves and kind of make sure that we have people around us too that are bolstering us because when you're doing new things all the time, it's mentally taxing and stressful. Oh, it's so true. I mean, you have to take pleasure in the successes too, right? And, and cheers to that. I mean, it's such great advice. So Pamela, what do you have outside of the coaching, you know, that we can take advantage of and project? I mean, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting, you know, for us to follow along? Well, um, you know, my design business is really moving in a really great direction. So I'm excited about just working with new people with with that part of my business. So that's pretty exciting. I'm thinking about writing a couple more books. Wow. I don't know how you have time for that. Actually, I have a pretty good technique for that. But I mean, they're like in the drawer, like 75% done. So I may have to get off my butt and do that. And then someone told me the other day that I should start a podcast. So I may have to talk to you about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you need to start a podcast. Your advice. You're great on air, so. I don't know. I might be a little too much for people to handle when you get to the real me, when I start to get, when I let my hair down a little bit. Um, so we'll see. But podcast has come up. And yeah, I just think this year I'm really working towards busting out of my comfort zone, which is difficult. Um, because, yeah, I'm like a 25-year-old trapped in a 52-year-old body. So <laughs> that one's going to be hard for people to handle. So we'll see if I can if I can get over the hurdle with that one. Yeah. So for those of us that want to see the real you then, so what, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, of course, I have a website, Pamela-Durkin.com. You can always find me there. Um, I do have a newsletter that I started doing for the creative industry called Marketing by Design. So it just gives tips and tricks and things like that. So I'm kind of, you know, just Google me. You'll find me. Um, I'm out there. Well, Pamela, you've been absolutely amazing. I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and making time for us today and, and sharing so many details, even your shock and awe box. So thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure just having this conversation. And these are the best ones is just being with other super smart business owners is just, it's like the best thing in the world. Oh, I could agree more. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.